0: The following podcast was recorded before the Black Lives Matter protests sparked by the tragic death of George Floyd. And so these topics are not discussed during the conversation with our guest. The Jewish Teen Funders Network is committed to ensure we offer resources and training to facilitate conversations and promote change in order to create a just and equitable world. donors of all
1: ages should come to the table to bring their unique values and lenses on the world to make the greatest impact that we can.
0: From the Jewish Teen Funders Network, this is Outside the Sedaka Box, the Jewish Teen Engagement and Philanthropy Education podcast. I am your host, Danielle Siegel each episode we will have a conversation with an amazing guest who will share their unique stories and help us explore the broader world of jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education i'm delighted to introduce our guest for today's episode shana goldsecker is today's leading expert on multi-generational and next generation philanthropy as founder and vice president of 2164 a non-profit practice serving next-gen and multi-generational philanthropic families. Shana has mastered and developed the industry's gold standard tools for transforming how families who give will define their values, collaborate, and govern in the decades ahead. Shana is the co-author of the bestseller, Generation Impact, how next-gen donors are revolutionizing giving. Thank you for joining us today, Shana.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Firstly, how, how are you doing?
1: Thanks for asking. We're all managing as best we can, just grateful to be safe and healthy during the pandemic. I know everyone is not so lucky, so I'm just feeling uh, appreciative of being able to social distance, still work and give my kids education remotely.
0: So you are the founder of 2164. And I was wondering, how did you come to do this line of work? What was it that propelled you to get into the world of philanthropy, but in a really uh, deep and educational level in that you are helping so many other people do philanthropy really well too?
1: How much time do you have? (laughs) Um,
0: I mean, in some ways,
1: the answer lies in a deeply personal as well as professional place. My great uncle was an immigrant from Poland as well as my grandfather. too. They came to the United States in the early 20s. And my great uncle bought real estate. He bought row houses. It wasn't that glamorous to be called real estate in the early 1900s. And and when he passed away, he wasn't married. He didn't have children of his own. My father, who had been working closely with him for 18 years, was the next generation, if you will. And instead of passing the business down to the next generation, my uncle's will stipulated that my father was to set up a a charitable foundation in his legacy. And so overnight, my father said, you know, I could almost hear him in my head saying, what do I know about philanthropy? Like I I was, you know, running row houses. Uh, All of this happened the year before I was born. I'm 45, just to be very transparent. And so um, I've gone on a journey with my father and the rest of the family to learn what it means to be philanthropic and to understand what it means to have that identity. And along the way, have met other next-gen donors who are on that journey as well. There's 10 million nonprofits and NGOs, non-governmental organizations in the world. How does one even choose? And so ultimately, the work of 2164, the work I've been doing for nearly 20 years, is about helping next-gen and donors of all ages really find their purpose, find their philanthropic identity. Um, And so when you ask me, how do I come to do this work, it's really both... uh, such a personal motivation from my own journey of trying to understand what it meant to uh, grow up in a family that Warren Buffett likes to say won the ovarian lottery. Like I didn't do anything to earn the the wealth and here I am with the opportunity to sit at a philanthropic table and allocate resources. So how do I earn that, that right and that opportunity and feel comfortable in that role? And then professionally, how do I help other donors to figure out the philanthropic identity that That they aspire to have.
0: What would you say are the biggest preconceived notions about your role and the role of 2164?
1: Well, I mean, most people here, I work in the field of philanthropy and ask me for grants, right? Or how do I get grants from your donors or your clients or people with whom you work? And I appreciate where the question comes from. But ironically, uh, 2164 doesn't make grants. We don't have any money. We don't have any assets. We don't hold foundations. Well, we have our own savings account, thank goodness. But we're not allocating resources. We're actually helping individuals, families even advisors who work with individuals and families to have the resources to give, to how to think about their values-based decision-making, how to govern in multi-generational ways. So I work in philanthropy, but I don't actually allocate money. In philanthropy, we found that a lot of people approach donors and the first question they typically ask them is, what do you want to give to? What issues do you care about? And at 2164, we do something pretty different. Intentionally we take two steps back and we ask two other questions first. We say, what are you inheriting? What's the family legacy? What's the story here? What's the opportunity that brings you to the table? Whether you came from wealth or not, um, how come you are choosing to give back and get involved in your community and make an impact? Where does that come from for you? And then secondly, we ask people, okay, as an individual, as a teenager, an emerging adult, an adult, an elder, who are you, what do you value? What do you care about in the world? What do you prioritize? And with the combination of the legacy you come from and who you are, then we can get to what do you want to do about it in the world? What do you want to fund? And so um, again, we don't start with grant making at 2164, we back up and we actually help individuals and donors to clarify their direction.
0: And I, I think that's a very powerful tool to look at our giving. And it's something that we do as well with the programs in our network at JTFN, which is the end point is that these teens are grant making. They sit on a foundation board and they give away money. But the starting point is for the teens to look at themselves and look at their own identity. And you mentioned values. And we we look very much about what are the Jewish values that influence these teens in their everyday life? And in your book, Generation Impact, How Next Gen Donors Are Revolutionizing Giving, you make mention of values a lot and that it's values over valuables. And I love that phrase, because those values are such key points for our decision making. So I think putting the focus on the values, turning everything on its head is actually really empowering. And it's a very different way to look at how our money can have impact and how it can be powerful.
1: A hundred percent. I'll never forget, I have a dear colleague who per- looked at our first deck of Values cards and she said, there's a problem with these. And so she laid them all out on the table and she said, these are all about identity. And I said, yes, that is actually the point. And we really believe it starts with who you are and what you value and what are your core principles We think that's where it starts, and particularly when dealing with teens or emerging adults or people who are going through a moment of clarification in their lives to look at the values as almost a mirror to who they are and gain some insight into what do I value most at this moment? What are the values that are most motivating my decision-making? And then you can apply that rubric to, you know, the world of Jewish life or the environment or education, but first kind of have to look within.
0: So what would you say at the moment is the Jewish value that is guiding you at the moment? What is your favorite Jewish value? Well, I've noticed uh, from doing the values exercise
1: many times over the years that I tend to have two values that are always at the top and then my next three, four and five kind of change over time given what's going on in my life and the world. But my first value always seems to be integrity It's a value I think I learned from my parents. Um, My father used to say, you're only as good as your word. (laughs) My parents really believe you have to live your principles. You have to behave as you want others to behave, as you want people to treat you, the the golden rule. And then, you know, maybe you would say my Jewish value, as you had asked me, uh, is justice, tzedek. I wasn't always associated with a philanthropic foundation. I mean, my, my grandfather was an immigrant. You know, he actually came at a time when the United States had quotas in the early 20s, and he had to go through South America. spend a couple of years there, he fortunately got a job in a clothing factory from a Jewish man who owned a warehouse there who invited him to cut clothes during the day and sleep on the cutting table at night because he had nowhere to live. And then eventually came into, you know, the United States. I have this enormous feeling of sort of people who live through injustice through the Russian pogroms and he left Poland in the early 20s so it was before really World War II and the Holocaust but certainly the pogroms and the injustice against Jews and the quotas from the United States about Eastern European immigrants you know and so how do we how do we create a more equitable a more just society wherever wherever we're living is where I come from you know one minute my grandfather is sleeping on a cutting table and the next minute we certainly have more peace and prosperity living in the United States. And so what might happen to my family in the next generation could change again. And so how do I sort of hold true to those values for me and for other people to make sure everyone has those equal opportunities of housing and safety and and a meaningful life?
0: You mention in the book about the four T's of philanthropy. Time, treasure, talent. And then you mentioned the fourth one, which is ties. And I think right now during this COVID crisis, the way that we make and maintain our ties has suddenly shifted. We're not meeting people in person. Everything has been thrown into this online space. How do you see people's networks being nurtured and progressing during a time when we are isolating?
1: Well, when we wrote the book Generation Impact, we were very motivated by what we heard from next-gen donors in terms of using all the tools in their toolbox using all the resources that they had at their disposal you know in addition to their check writing capacity you know they wanted to give of their of their time they wanted to give of their expertise many people particularly women said they were often funneled into social committees gala committees fundraising one woman said to us if i'm asked to pick the napkins at a gala one more time i'm going to scream i'm trained in mediation i have a law degree i have business acumen let me apply my skills to the to the needs of the day and then, of course, we come to Ties, which, you know, was this tea that hadn't yet been added to the age old maxim, Time, Talent, Treasure, and we felt like next gen donors lived so horizontally, you know, they were receiving inspiration and learning and strategic advice, whether it was to figure out what restaurant to go to or, uh, Yelp or what to purchase on Amazon, everyone kind of looks at peers for reviews and comments. And so they were looking for that in the philanthropic space. And to your question, I think during the pandemic, we've seen an unbelievable response from next gen pretty quickly who want to do something, right? It's what, something we talked about in the book that they want to be active, just like, you know, the millennial organization do something kind of brought that term to the fore run by Nancy Lublin and now by Aria Finger. But this idea that they don't just want to write checks, they want to be involved in be active in their giving and so you know during the pandemic we've seen people ask of course how can I write checks how can I advance my giving earlier in the year instead of waiting till the end of the year how can I augment my giving if my grantees or older vulnerable communities are in need you know and in terms of time and talent we've seen unbelievable efforts from people who are just spoke to one next gen donor the other day he and his gen x and his gen z son have created the Design template for masks that have been certified for frontline face shields. And they're hiring unemployed workers who are out of work because their factories aren't working right now to create the masks. So they're, they're doing workforce employment. And now they're connecting through their networks to have people purchase the shields at a low bulk rate and get them to frontline workers. So I just think the ingenuity and the dedication to making an impact is unbelievable right now. And in some ways, perhaps the next generation who has always looked horizontally to their networks to advance their learning, their strategy, and their impact are really poised to do that when you can't meet in person and you're in a position of only having to tap your networks online.
0: You mention in the book the benefits of starting early about giving and going through this process at a young age and how important it is to do it even before you're 21, you know, when you're really going through those formative years, what would you say is the best piece of advice you could give to a young person who's about to embark on this process?
1: of so I I would applaud them for the, the initiative they're taking to get involved. But really, you know, developmental psychologists would say that we don't sort of wake up being generous i mean i'm sure some people have that more in their character traits than others over time we build that muscle that we add those character traits that because of doing and giving and contributing and partaking in those activities we become more generous we become more engaged we become more philanthropic so you know our research from generation impact underscored that for me uh, what I think about Victoria Rogers, who grew up in Chicago, and her father encouraged her to do volunteer work at starting in seventh grade, so at the age of twelve, she started to volunteer at the su children 's Center on the south side of Chicago, near where she went to school, and began teaching art classes. She had no idea at the time that art would become one of her lifelong commitments. She went on to intern and volunteer for an organization called Creative Time, which does large public art displays. She went to work for Kickstarter and helped to locate and curate and invest in all the art projects on their platform. She became an art collector. She joined the board of Brooklyn Museum of Art. This was all, by the way, before the age of 25. Largely stimulated by teaching art classes at age 12. So I think one of the little unknown Secrets perhaps is that starting at a young age in volunteerism or philanthropic activities one may stumble on their own Human capital intellectual social capital that uh, leads them to a passion that they have in the world gives them some purpose and direction So I think that's one of the unintended consequences and then what our research showed is that Victoria is not an anomaly that actually 90% of the people we interviewed started to volunteer before the age of 21, 75% before the age of 15. And really that has led them to be engaged in charitable activities, philanthropic activities in their 20s and 30s. For me, I think even if when you start out not giving your own money or not giving a lot of money, these are all incremental stepping stones to becoming a more significant and meaningful philanthropist as you get older. And I guess I would lastly say that I think the world has changed, that people aren't just waiting till their 70s, 80s, 90s, the sunset of their lives to be philanthropic. You know, as my colleague Michael Moody likes to say, to retire into philanthropic leisure. Instead, they're feeling like the needs of the world are great right now. I mean, that's only underscored by the pandemic at the moment. so... Why wait till you have more money, your own money, you know, whatever you're waiting for. Clarity as a philanthropist, the needs are are significant now. And so if you can start in your teens just doing something, that's amazing. We're all going to benefit. You mention in the book
0: about at the kids' table, and what does it mean to feel like you're sitting at the kids' table? And I think what's really empowering is saying to the teens and the younger generations, that notion doesn't really apply right now. You can take on the responsibility of giving, of making difficult decisions, and actually your voice amongst the generations is very valid and important. I like that that was also something that came up in in the book that the younger generation felt that they were being pushed aside and they really didn't need to be because their input was really valuable too.
1: I think there's this idea that, you know, the next generation will come later or they'll just follow in what their predecessors did. And when we realized that the next generation were emerging adults with ideas of their own and the elders were living longer and sticking around longer and not retiring and passing the baton you know what we realized it wasn't a relay race anymore where the next gen was waiting to participate in the race instead we use this metaphor of fielding a team that I'm not the best sportsman but I do know that a baseball team doesn't have all first basemen. you know like lots of different players playing lots of different positions and a team needs people with a diverse set of skills and experiences and levers to pull and so similarly At 2164, we feel like donors of all ages should come to the table, just as you're saying, to bring their unique values and lenses on the world and diverse perspectives and skill sets to make the greatest impact that we can on organizations and the community.
0: So you have written many publications over the years. You've been published in New York Times and Huffington Post. You have your book out as well. What is your favorite piece that you think is really relevant for right now when we are dealing with a pandemic and our world has been thrown a little bit upside down?
1: No one's asked me this question before. It's pretty interesting. Generation Impact was really my favorite writing experience to date, largely because I, I got to interview 70 next-gen donors and just spending the time hearing their stories was so inspiring and motivating. You know, there's so many assumptions about the next generation kind of being lackadaisical and not being involved. And so to be able to show that actually maybe it's just under the radar, but so many young people are starting nonprofits and joining the board of nonprofits and contributing to nonprofits and investing in social enterprises and using all the tools in their toolbox from 501c3 grants to 501c4 sort of political campaigning to impact investing and using their voice to make change. I mean it was just incredibly inspiring. So Michael and I are excited to announce that the paperback version with expanded content will come out this fall. So I hope people have an opportunity to to check it out. The stories of the baker's dozen, the 13 Next Gen, who decided many of them for the first time to tell their own stories in their own voices, not anonymously, I, I hope is super accessible and enjoyable for people to learn from.
0: As we are spending so much time at home at the moment, What are you watching that you are particularly enjoying?
1: Well, I have to admit, given my line of business, I watched Succession. (laughs) I (laughs) watched the second season of Succession. I love to understand family dynamics and how they play out and the choices people make. So I I binge-watched the whole season at once. That's, you know, you can count that as
0: work time. Oh,
1: good to know, good to know. I also am eagerly awaiting the next season of Madam Secretary or Madam President. I love seeing Taylor Leone in the strong woman in the role of leadership. I feel like we're in a moment where leadership is so important to navigate us through what we're doing. And so I'm, I'm, eager, to see, I'm eager to see her in that role again.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for spending the time today and talking to us a little bit about philanthropy and your book and the field and your life's work. So I really appreciate you taking the time and chatting with us.
1: It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So just a quick plug for the Jewish Funders Network podcast, which is called What Gives, that is available wherever you like listening to your podcasts and also subscribe to our podcast. We are available via our website and also the platforms where you can listen to your podcasts so thank you again so much Shana and we will see everybody next time. Outside the Sadaka Box is produced by the Jewish Teen Funders Network the central resource for the network of Jewish teen philanthropy programs in North America and internationally. To find out more visit our website at jtfn.org. Thank you for listening and look out for our next episode coming soon. Don't forget to subscribe. Until then, bye friends.